Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast. I'm also the managing director of B Squared. If you are a new listener, then welcome to the Sendcast. The aim of the Sendcast is simple. We want to reach lots and lots of people and help you all learn more about special educational needs and disability. This week, my guest is Jyoti Manuel, the founder and director of Special Yoga. She has been teaching yoga since 1989 and been working with children with SEND for over 20 years. And this week, we're discussing compassionate co-regulation. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. We are the assessment people. We help show the small sets of progress pupils with SEND make. We help schools show progress for a wide range of abilities and ages. If you're a primary school struggling to show progress or struggling to identify where a pupil isn't making progress, we can help. If you're trying to help support children with the preparing for adulthood, we have frameworks for that. If you're struggling to show progress in the early years, we have frameworks for there. And if you're in secondary or in post-16, you can use our Steps for Life frameworks to show progress there as well. Anyway, let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing compassionate co-regulation. What is it and why should we be doing it? My guest this week is Jyoti Manuel, the founder and director of Special Yoga. She has been teaching yoga since 1989 and set up Special Yoga 20 years ago to support pupils with SEND. She works with local authorities, the NHS, schools, paediatric professionals and parents and carers. Welcome to the show, Jyoti. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You are welcome. So regulation is all about regulating ourselves, our breathing and our emotions, which, as we've discussed before, are very much linked. And co-regulation is about supporting regulation using someone else. So either you're supporting them or they're supporting you. But what, what's compassionate co-regulation? So we can regulate with people. If you walk, So I'll just give you a very simple example. You walk into a room with somebody who's really stressed out, who's kind of anxious and hyperventilating, you're going to feel that energy, right? which is not yep. very compassionate and not very kind. So compassionate co-regulation is about where we are regulated with an open heart, with kindness, with care. And so what we do then is the energetic quality that exists within us and that we then share without communication, without verbal communication, or it might be with verbal communication, actually. But the energy field that we create as a result inside and outside creates a, a compassionate, caring space for another. Okay, so yeah, so it's walking into that room, you're kind of how you are, you're either going to help calm them down by being really open, or I suppose the other way, if you're not personally regulated or in a good place, you're more likely to feed off their emotions and join them. Well, I think it's a combination of that. And also, I think what a lot of people do in the kind of caring and education communities is you don't really feel okay. And you try and bottle it up and zip it up and pretend it's not there. But actually, I think that the children, particularly children with special needs, who have a heightened sensitivity and a heightened kind of inner barometer, if you want to call it that, are going to pick that up. And so actually, it's not authentic, it's not real, and it's not true. And inevitably, when you're in that state, all of the kind of things that you feel uncomfortable about inside you are projected out because we're all mirrors of each other at the end of the day. So social engagement and, and, and kind of social connection is all about that interaction from one to another. And it can be verbal, but it can also be nonverbal and, and very much energetic. So the compassionate co-regulation piece comes out of technically that nonverbal, but then becomes verbal, but in a kinder way. And, it, and it's yeah. very authentic as well. That's the thing is, you, you think you're, as a parent, you think your children you're hiding things from your children, you're you're having a bad day or whatever, and you're saying you're fine, and you'll do all these things. But the fact you use the word fine in that tone, or you're saying, yep, those two words come up when when someone's in a bad mood in my house. But, yeah, it's just that the way you say certain words, the way you get up off the sofa, the way you do that, completely unintentional, you're literally on your face, you're saying, I'm going to put a brave face on, I'll deal with this later but you kind of you're subconsciously carrying it and and the children they see it and they read it 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And my, my children have surprised me this week because I thought I did a really good job of hiding how I was feeling about something. And apparently not. Apparently they read me completely. So, which was really nice for me. But it also, as you said, it highlights that although I'm trying to put on that brave face, I'm trying to help them keep them calm and do all these things, is perhaps my fuse was slightly shorter. Perhaps I eye rolled more than I should have. All those things that my children definitely picked up on. And yet I couldn't, I'm joking about eye rolling and stuff, but I couldn't tell you specifically what the change was it's that subconscious it's an unconscious body it might be my shoulders were just a bit down i was a bit more lethargic and going and doing it i was a bit more maybe a, a slight change but they pick up on it absolutely and if you take the principle in a classroom for example you know what will probably happen or possibly happen is is that in a classroom a teacher might have a child that, that they find deeply irritating for want of a better way of putting it. Yes. And there's nothing bad about that. We're human and they, these things happen. So it's not, but then what happens is, is you pretend you don't have that, but you do have it. So you'll be slightly edgier with that child, however much you try not to be. And of course, the less regulated and filled up inside you are, the worse you will be. Yeah. Because one of the things that definitely happens is that when we really fill up fill ourselves up from the really so that we're feeling safe we're feeling connected we're feeling calm we're feeling regulated we're feeling in balance i mean it's not necessarily calm because i can be happy and not appear calm but be calm inside because i'm comfortable i'm safe and i've got that kind of comfort zone inside myself then my thoughts towards everybody changes so particularly yeah. those that you might have more challenge with you know, your thoughts will change. They'll be kinder by, by default. And that's where the compassionate co-regulation piece comes up. Because when we really do that work inside and we really allow ourselves to, to nurture ourselves and to commit to ourselves for that nurturing, because it's not just about doing it, it's about the commitment to doing it. You know, it's about owning that commitment to doing it and valuing the commitment to doing it. Then all of a sudden, all of your interactions will be different. Yeah, and I suppose you always hear of the stories, and I remember Aaron Welsh on a much earlier podcast said, if there's one thing I'd say to teachers is don't listen to stories of children. So if the previous teacher was telling you how bad this child is and they're coming to you next year, you better be watch out. You're immediately on edge about that child. You've had no experience of that child, but you're on edge. And the moment something doesn't quite go as planned, you're not going to be as compassionate as you would have been if you didn't have that information. You're going in expecting it to blow up. You're going in and expecting it to end up in a bad situation because that's what the previous teacher told you happened. Whereas if you went in fully compassionate, there is a likelihood that it wouldn't go that way. It's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. Absolutely. And, and, but I, I think that there's another piece to that too, which is people will want to tell you this stuff, right? So you can then choose what you want to do with that piece of information. So I can choose to take that on and go, I'm going to be on red alert around that child, or I'm going to be kind of hypervigilant around that child. Or I can go, I'm actually going to pretend I didn't even hear that. I'm going to put it aside and I'm going to take my own view. Because what they're doing is they're seeing the child through their lens and their lens is not your lens. And so yes. when, we, when we can separate ourselves from another's judgment and not take on another person's judgment, and again, I think that that requires us to be really balanced, really calm, really open-hearted to be able to not engage with that kind of information, which is only ever going to be damaging, actually. And, and you, you think about it is... I think that lens, and especially when we're recording this, is, we're, and this is the summer and it's GCSE time, is you have children coming out and one child goes, God, and one might come out of an exam crying because it was so hard, and the child next to them, who sat next to them all year long, going, well, that was really easy. And it is, our lenses of the same event can be completely different. And that's the thing you've got to realise, if someone, there are times I've done something, or you've gone somewhere and gone, God, that was beautiful. That's a beautiful city. I loved it. 
somebody else went there and their luggage arrived late, which meant they were stressed for the first two days and never really kind of got into the holiday mode. So they would tell you that holiday could be a waste of time. And it is that the perception based on other events in your life or happening at that time will make you see things completely differently. And it is, it's important, even when you're told, because I think you go on TripAdvisor, you see reviews for restaurants, you read where someone going, it's rubbish or it's great or it's that, and you go there and you have a different experience. It's what is your perspective? What are your expectations? When someone is naughty, in air quotes, is that them just not sitting there quiet enough for you? that you'd like everyone to be silent and they're, they're doing a little bit of noise because their foot's moving, or is that someone standing up throwing chairs? What's your definition of naughty? What's your expectations? How have you, how comfortable have you made that classroom for that child? There's so many factors that, yes, that teacher might have had a really bad experience with that pupil, but the next teacher could have a completely different and it, it could be that that teacher that child really did not like that teacher from the first moment the teacher did something it was very strict and the teacher also didn't like the child yes <laughs> you know? so they've been butting heads all year you're a brand new teacher in reality if you've been butting heads with someone all year and you're going to another teacher you're probably going to be going oh i'm away from that teacher or that teacher going and you'll be so there's so many, so many factors, so many layers on this that it really is important to have that start from a blank canvas of what you know of them. Start, be that compassionate. Yeah. Whatever stories you've heard, that was another, that was another person in another classroom at a different time. And sometimes that starting off the wrong way could be one thing that happened on the first day of that class which could have been an external factor, but it set the tone or the, it gave that child an image of that teacher, which is hard to change. Yeah, and I think that there's another piece as well, which I've seen, which is where you've got a child who has a behaviour pattern that we don't like, and so we assume that they're always going to do that, right? And if mm -hmm. we assume that they're always going to do that, it's like an unspoken invitation for them to continue doing it. But if we were to actually look at that behaviour as a form of communication rather than as something good or bad and, and kind of identify what's actually going on underneath it. What unmet need is not being met there. What are we not, what's the child trying to express that they're unable to in any other way? What do we need to feed that child with in a positive way in order for that behavior to stop? And then trust the fact that the behavior doesn't have to be the same all the time. Then you've got the possibility of positive change. Yes, and it is. The behavior is that you're seeing is, is that it's not many needle that lot, but generally it is a step along the path and one of the last steps, <laughs> boom, explode behavior. But generally there are steps along the way. And if you can recognize some of those things, you can kind of help that child to, look, if you feel this or if this happens, it's more likely within half an hour this will happen. Yeah. So if you know this and you can recognize you're feeling this, do something different at this point and you can avoid. So all those sorts of things, it isn't a predestined, if they've, as you said, if they've always done that with a previous teacher, they may not have seen something going down that path and you can change it. It's not, as you said, it's not set in stone, it's not a destiny unless you kind of want it to happen. And children, are not as aware of their bodies or way they where they are, aware of who they are and how they present as much as we realise. My teen daughters, we go through various things. I think I've covered it. Change the situation slightly, can't cope. And I was sort of going, but this is just, a, no, well, no, it's not actually, because this is a, it was a slight change at the beginning, which meant we, we skipped the first three steps. We hit here. She wasn't in a great place, so she missed feeling that. So and you just have these things and you realise that, yeah, in a perfect world, we'll go through these steps and we'll move on. But it's not always the same path. There's not always different triggers, different things, slight change that will do it. And I've got to be very compassionate with it. I'm not always. But you're human. But. but 
what I also do is I recognize that, and again, that compassionate, that he's saying that's a really good term, compassionate co-regulation. I realize I can see historically when I have been more compassionate, we have a better outcome. Always. The less compassionate I am, the worse it goes. And I can still communicate with my daughter that I'm not happy with what she's doing or she's really disappointed or I've struggled or things like that. I just don't do it in the moment, which means I'm not, it's always like, it's always like an argument. So it's my fault often comes out because what you just said is they're upset. You throw that in. It's like, Oh, so everything is my fault. Is it? And you're like going, that's what I meant. That's generally off it goes. It's exploded. And it might've been that, if you just done this one thing, it wouldn't have happened. But no, they don't, they don't, they don't want to hear that in the moment. So yeah, that comes later. But if you do that, try and say that sort of thing in the moment, it's going to go bad. Yep, usually does. <laughs> <laughs> usually does. But yeah, yeah, and I suppose for me as a parent, I've I've obviously learnt my child, my children over the years, and they do change. It's always learning. But as a teacher, you've got a, a new set of children every year. If you're a primary teacher and secondary, it's probably going to change you up. But you've not got one new set. You've got lots of new sets. And it's at first, probably that first term of learning all your children is a lot of observation, a lot of work for your brain to understand the children and what works for them, which could be when you are less compassionate because you have all that extra burn on top of everything else, which comes with teaching and life and everything at the moment. It's that capacity to be compassionate is, I think, really important. But I think that compassion has to start towards ourselves first. So I think that the key, the keys to a success in the classroom, is creating a safe, a sense of safety for all the for yourself and all the children, a sense of belonging, and a sense of respect. And if you don't feel safe inside you, you're going to have struggle to create that safety net. If you don't feel like you belong in in the context of your life, again, you're not going to be able to create that. And if you don't have a respect for who you are and how you are, then again, you're going to, it's going to be much harder to invite children to to kind of garner that that sense of respect. So all of those things come from the ability to understand at a very basic level how we function in the world. What is it that makes us feel safe? What is it that makes us feel like we belong? So it's about social engagement, social connection, which happens in education. You know, it's a big part of education as well. And so, you you know, you, you kind of start to look at the science behind all of that. And you've got something called the polyvagal theory, which is something that came out of a, an American doctor called Dr. Stephen Forges. And he's done huge amounts of research around you know, what becomes compassionate co-regulation, but, but works through the vagus nerve, which is the biggest nerve in the body, which is impact, which, which feeds directly into our nervous systems. So how we interact with ourselves and the world around us will also impact how we then connect with others. Yeah. And I think through everyone's experience of their own school, you have so many different teachers and the older I get, I, I see different reasons why teachers were certain ways. And I can now sort of see, I sit there, oh, that's what they were trying to achieve. And sometimes they put on a show, yeah, to they're putting on a front. Other teachers are very much more themselves. And there are teachers who I would say, my daughter's had one in her school, who I would say <laughs> an external themselves weren't regulated so kind of whatever stress hit them they kind of distributed to everyone else and all that happened and this is this is where he gets the thing is all that happened this is this was a, a secondary school and he was he was a department lead is none of the children liked him because of the way he was, and which meant none of those children, if they have got his lessons, are really going to feel safe. If you don't feel safe, you can't learn properly. Can't learn. And you could sit there and go, oh, 
strict teachers of better control and things like that. But it was just the things my my daughter said. And that thing, my daughter, although is a child, still in theory, she's interacted with a lot of people in her life, and she's because she can compare them to others. And it wasn't. I would say it wasn't strict. It wasn't. Um, you cross a boundary, this happened. It was the way they walked into the room was very, almost like you, you You should be lucky you have these teachers. You should be lucky you are here. You do not know how lucky you are. Very much almost having to go at the children was the first thing they got from him. Is from the child's point of view, and I, my, I've got a nephew who will, will not talk to a teacher for six weeks of meeting them until they've worked out how that person will respond to them. And if they're going to respond in a positive way, and I've seen them respond to lots of children in a positive way, I'll then engage with that teacher. If I don't, I won't engage with that teacher. Now that is quite a polar extreme, but in reality, it's what we all do, isn't it? It we is all... because he's, he's checking out whether he's safe or not, isn't he? Yeah. You know? I mean, we all do that with everyone. So when you sit on a train... Next to people, you literally you start you look at the people just to sit there and go right, cool. How I'm I'm a six foot three bloke, so generally I'm quite calm. But I know other people will sit there and go, okay, I'm not quite comfy here because I've just looked at the way he's looking or he looks at, and you kind of you're trying to work out, am I safe? So if that teacher's first impact on you is I don't like you. You've got there's a lot of bridge building to get back to. I can trust you, and there will never be compassionate co-regulation with that person. So, it's not about being the friendliest friendly person. No, compassionate co-regulation isn't about friends. It's about you regulate you, so you know where you are. You know how to hold yourself safely. You know what boundaries you need in order to feel safe. Right that are actually careful, yeah. compassionate, caring, because self-compassion isn't all about going, oh, it's also lovely, oh, I can take care of myself. It's also learning about when to say no. Yes. You know, and, and there's a whole piece of, of, of self-compassion and self-care that requires us to know where our boundaries are and what's okay and what isn't yes. okay. And when we cross over those boundaries, we put ourselves out of safety again. Yeah. So it, it's not about being, it's about being you, isn't it? It's about yeah. being you, who you are, not, and if something's not right, and we don't, we're not always in a situation we can fix those things. We can't always fix them, but we can talk to others. We, there's lots of things we can do to try and help that situation. But the more closer to you you are, the more regulated you're going to be, the more compassionate you're going to be for everyone else. Of course. And, you know, what we do in, in life is, is we, we all do it we all have a default place where we hit something uncomfortable in ourselves. And instead of actually meeting it and, and learning how to live with it in a kind, caring way, we avoid it. So we go into the fridge or we go on Facebook or we run around or we make phone calls or whatever it is that we do. We watch TV, anything just to not, to blank it out, to push it away. And so it stays there. It just stays there. And then and then that becomes a lens through which you perceive your yourself and life. Yes. You know, that's how it works. That's the thing is when you look at so much in life, especially reality TV, <laughs> you can just lose weeks of your life <laughs> filling it with something which is engaging your senses. It's, but what's it actually doing? It's, it's, it's as you said, it's stopping you actually thinking or dealing with what's going on. Feeling. And yeah. you can just drift through and and drift through these and you're not actually getting you're not actually helping yourself you would just have this feeling at the back of your head you're trying to hide from mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you're just trying to hide from this feeling you're trying to use tv to distract yourself you're using social media for me watching people fall over on youtube those compilations always get me going for an hour and sometimes it's, I can do it for an hour to maybe lose where I am. But the thing is, it's kind of, I've calmed down those, I've, my mind's more emptier and I'm not so fixated on what has happened. I'm calmer now. 
cool. Now I'm now I'm in a better place to deal with it. So that's not a bad thing. Is almost a distraction. No, 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 no. I mean, I'm not saying that no one should watch TV or anything like that. But I think that there's a place where we we can use it as a way of just kind of decompressing, and we can use it as yes. a way of avoidance. And and there's a difference. Big difference. It is if it is you're doing it for, for yeah. Sometimes for me, it's I get home, end of the day, and I just spend 45 minutes just browsing and then it's like right i'm decompressed let's get on with things let's let's get cracking whereas if you're on that till bedtime and you're putting things off and you're not facing things you are purely avoiding and it's not and there are reasons probably you feel you can't deal with those there's so many things okay too and i think i think the thing is is learning how to be kind to ourselves irrespective of what we how we choose to do things any human things aren't always don't always feel easy and actually we just need to be kinder to ourselves yes and i think we've got to lose some of these i'm going to say them and they are antiquated expectations that counseling is bad therapy is bad chin up stiff upper lip men don't have feelings all that rubbish is it's not that's not actually healthy and talking to someone and there's not always someone to talk to but there are avenues out there where you can do with things and that's the thing is hopefully you do have someone you can talk to if not counseling is actually good <laughs> counseling is actually good for you because you may just in your conversations relive something or recover something else and see things you maybe haven't seen before. And I remember Alison Knowles, she was supporting someone who was a victim of sexual abuse when she was very young. And she was now, this person now much older. And she said, I should have done this. 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 And she just, and Alison said to her, stop seeing it through the eyes of a 30, 40 year old. See it through the eyes of a nine year old where you didn't know any of that. There's nothing you could have done because you didn't know. And I think sometimes we sit there and we look at something in our life and you go, well, I should have done that. Or I should have, or, I should have. You, and you often beat yourselves up that you kind of put, I could have avoided that. I could have done that. Or you put, you just, but talking to someone else and just going through things could be really useful. And one of the things Alison said to me, which I didn't ever realize, if there are events which you kind of remember and you can tell people, oh, this happened and it doesn't bother me. And she went, well, the fact you're telling me, the fact you're remembering it, it has had a big emotional impact. That's why it's in your memory there. There's an emotion attached to it. If there was no emotion attached to it, you probably would have forgotten that incident. So where you're sitting there going, oh, yeah, this happened, but I'm, yeah, it was, yeah, it was just a bit of fun. You're going, but subconsciously, it's impacted me. But yeah, so... Yeah, so going into, very tangent, but you being regulated, you trying to not have skeletons in your closet. Well, I don't think it's about, I actually don't think it's about not having skeletons in our closet because we all have them. I think it's about meeting our skeletons with kindness. Yes, what I mean by that is it's, you have skeletons in your closet which you know about, but it's not hiding from them. It's it's not pretending they're not there. It's not pretending I've got to deal with this. And pretend, or like, there's an advert I remember seeing where it's like this monster was just growing in a room and this person was just trying to ignore it and not look at this monster. And it really took over their living space and they kept trying to ignore it. It's that sort of thing. It's, you can't ignore these things because it will eat away at you. It will impact you for longer. And the whole time that's happening, you're going to be less compassionate because you don't have the capacity to support others Yet this whole profession we're in, the whole of the Essien community is about being compassionate. And that starts with you, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I also think that we can own our humanness. Everybody walking around on this planet today is a human mess. And if we can really honour the fact that we're all a human mess and it's okay to be a human mess and we can love ourselves as a human mess and we can care for ourselves as a human mess, then actually everybody else's messiness is okay because we're just all on the same playing field. But if I'm uncomfortable with my messiness, then I'm going to be uncomfortable with someone else's messiness. Yes. 
Because sometimes you might you're seeing maybe bits of you in them. Of course, and that's what that's what sparks you off. Of course, of course, that's that's those are the children that we find most challenging because they're going to mirror something back in us that we don't like about ourselves. <laughs> Inevitably, you know. Yes, that's the thing. As my children grow up, you literally not in a horrible way, but you sit there going, "Oh, they're doing that. That's amazing. You're really <laughs> proud of it." And then you see the opposite. You're going. Oh, God, I did that as well. God, oh, dear, yes, I'm so sorry. And you're literally going, I'm so sorry you have that in you as well because that's a really bad part of me. I don't like that. But then I recognise it. And also you do the same with you, with my wife. i literally going, oh, yeah, they, they got that for my wife. That's great. And you're going, oh, they got that for my wife. Oh, dear. And that's the thing. You do these things and you can recognise it. You can see it. And... And I say, I do that on a very fun level and we have lots of fun. So my wife wears glasses and my daughter wears glasses. I'm like, oh, you're as blind as your mother. That's going to help you in life. Or things like that. And you, you spec, you, but I think we all have things we're great at. We all have things we're not great at. And it's accepting those, <laughs> accepting those of others. So my wife can't find a car in a car park ever. So, but that's just a bit of fun we have. And now my daughters help her find a car in the car park. You don't get angry about it, do you? No. I mean, I, I think humour helps. I actually think humour helps. Yeah. And I also think that when we're really stressed out and we're really empty inside because we haven't taken care of ourselves, that's when we get annoyed. Whereas when we're filled up, we can find more humour, we can find more joy, we can find more acceptance. And I think that's also the whole piece of this is that is recognizing how important it is to fill ourselves up and to take care of ourselves, whatever that may be, whether that's taking a walk in nature, whether it's doing yoga, whether it's, I don't know, whatever it may be, you know, whatever it may be, but, yes. but sitting down and painting, whatever nourishes your soul, nourishes your heart and your soul, you have to, we have to give that to ourselves to fill ourselves up. It is that, I, my, my wife will sit there. I obviously have, I have a bit of a tummy on me and I should watch what I eat and I'm not bad. I go up and down with my weight. And we'll be discussing various meals. And I say, I fancy that. She goes, not good for you. <laughs> I said, technically, it's not good for my body, but it is very good for my soul. Because <laughs> that's the thing, is you can put up with things for so long. Yeah, yeah, you can eat cardboard all week, but you will need that Chinese takeaway on the Friday night to fill you with a bit of joy. <laughs> There you go. Whatever to survive another week of cardboard. So yeah, there's, and it's, that's the thing. It is, and I also think I'm somebody who likes to have a holiday booked, something to look forward so to. So I know when January and February is rather rubbish and it's cold and there's nothing going on. That's kind of when I book my holiday because then I know that that's coming and I can think about that. Okay. And it, and then I work towards the summer and I know at the end of July or August. I've got a holiday, which I'm so yeah, I can I can kind of get my head down and work through things knowing something good will be coming. Yep. That's how a lot of people do that. A lot of people do that. And if you're if you've got your head down and you're now going, well, what have I got to look forward to? You need to find something and add that in. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't have to be expensive. Yeah. I do a lot of camping. <laughs> Yeah, it's not about money. It isn't expensive. It's not about money. But camping is I go sit in a field and I relax. No TV, no news, limited people, less people. So it's a much calmer environment. And doing that with friends, you just get time which you don't normally have. The children often distract themselves with the field, football, frisbee, anything. and. It really, really relaxes you, even though I'm sleeping on an airbed in a field, it gets a bit cold, not the most comfortable night. Overall, I come back from a weekend of camping recharged. And and it's I'm saying again, when you're in the middle of something, you won't realize how it's impacting you. Yeah. You don't realise how much you've taken on, how tired you are, how anything, until you have that opportunity to step out. And then when you go back in, you'll sit there going, okay, it's that swimming through treacle type thing. It's actually how hard it is. And then you might sit there and go, 
okay, this isn't great. I need to change something. And yeah, life is very difficult at the moment and changing things, options aren't always there. Recognizing, identifying it is the first part. And often just doing that gives you a sense of relief. I also think that there's another thing is people think they don't have time. Yeah. I think there's two things. One is it's selfish to take care of yourself. And the other is I don't have time. And those are the two things I hear quite a lot, especially from people, from teachers. And because I'm too busy, I've, I've got my job, I've got my family, I've got this, I've got that. And I get all of that. But you know what? Everybody can find five minutes. Yeah. And you can change your state in five minutes yeah. if you choose to. Right. So time is an illusion. Yeah, you might not have an hour to go to a yoga class or an hour to do something else, but you can find five minutes. And you can physiologically and neurologically change your emotional state and regulate yourself in the matter of a couple of minutes. And you may not believe her, but it is true. Um, when you run your own business, when you're a Senko, when you're doing all those things, when you're young children, you've got everything balanced, you generally work till you drop go to bed, don't get enough sleep, and repeat. And all that really happens is every day you get less effective at all of those things until that point where you either get a break or you don't and you end up not coping and things going badly. Giving yourself, making sure you get the sleep, giving yourself five minutes to regulate and do all of those things in five minutes and make sure you get that sleep rather than working till you drop will mean you are effective every day yeah for me it's about if you look at yourself like a like a car or an engine right yes. there's a point when you run out of gas right? yes and but if you just keep your your tank topped up below zero it doesn't have to i mean if it's full fantastic but even if you keep it above zero you've got coping reserves yes and an hour extra of sleep a night, half an hour extra of sleep a night, has a big impact. Somebody I know would literally, he was trying to run his own business, trying to start it up, and he would literally fall asleep on his desk while working at three o'clock in the morning. And then, but he was then setting alarm for 8 a.m. and starting up again. What happened is he was staying up later because he was not getting the stuff done, but then he was missing sleeping through his alarm. And it was in a complete mess. I said, you literally, you have to go to bed at a normal time. You have to get your sleep because you're not going to be thinking about things correctly. You're not going to be thinking about things in an unemotional state. You'll literally be just dealing, you'll be firefighting the entire time because you're not actually proactively thinking, I need to change this or is there a better way? And that sleep, that five minutes of just stepping back and calming yourself, just emptying your mind, you will see that more. It's like when you can't find your keys. The reason you can't find your keys is a visual thing that it's not normally there, so your your mind fills it in. But when you kind of stop and take a step back, that's when you often see them. Because again, you're kind of taking that step back, trying to get rid of the mo. You, you just it's that slightly different view, and and you can do that with your entire life in reality. You can literally look at what I'm facing with right now, take five minutes, take that step back, look at it. And it's like when you come back in, it's like you're looking at a planner of all the things you've got to do. And then you'll go straight back into where you were. And it just helps you see things. It really will make a difference. And when people talk about mental health, and I say this a lot on the podcast whenever I can, is with first aid, with physical first aid, first thing they say is make sure it's safe. You do not want two casualties. You don't want to add yourself. You don't want to walk into something and then fall down a hole because it's not safe. There's, you've got to make sure it's safe for you to, to look after and apply first aid to that person. It is exactly the same for mental health. And me- yeah, if they are not in a good place, yeah, if you're not in a good place, you cannot fully support them. It's exactly the same to me. Absolutely. I mean, there's a reason why they say on an airplane, put your mask on before you put the mask for the child on. Yes. And again, what's interesting, I was watching a documentary. So a lot, we often know that when you put your seatbelt on a plane, it's very different to that of a normal seatbelt. 
when people go to take that seatbelt off in an emergency, they try to take it off like a car. So they're reaching for the button at their side because it's what they're used to. And then something else said, there was a plane emergency not long ago. It didn't crash, but they had to put the oxygen masks on. And 90% of people put them on wrong. So although they're supposed to be in a certain way and they showed you, everyone put it on completely wrong. So all those safety briefings, all those cards, still wasn't working. That's the thing is your emotions will affect your judgment. Always. So it comes back to regulation. And if you're regulated, you can support someone to co-regulate. And, it's, and by being yourself regulated, you're going to be much more compassionate, which means you will have much more of an impact and a chance to support that person to regulate. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think that children learn from how we aren't, from the model that we are, rather than what we say. So, you know, I've seen teachers, you know, will you please calm down? I mean, no child's going to calm down in that situation because the, there's too much charge from the teacher. They're not modeling yeah. what they want them to, what they do, what, how they want the children to be. So actually, and, and it's, it's, also, it's also like if you've got a child who's having a real crisis and a real meltdown, you're, you're almost yelling at that child to breathe. But actually, if you breathed yourself, the child would be, you wouldn't even need to tell the child to breathe because they would be receiving that energy. One thing I remember seeing at my primary school when the teacher's trying to get everyone's attention is not doing the whole shouting is I've seen them, they wave their hands in the air. Yeah which I'm not a fan of because I'm generally engrossed in my work, or the clapping of rhythm. Mm -hmm. And the teacher will start, and there'll be those who are going, oh, oh, I've finished, I can join in. But it's almost like you're allowed to join it late mm -hmm. with no anger. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's what I like about yeah. that. It's a teacher who's clapping a rhythm, other children join in, and you could be just finishing off your sentence, put your pen down and join in. And whenever I see it, the teachers are always calm when they do it. There might be a child who is very late and they're just like, oh, come on. And they join in. It's great. And it's and the fact that, that teacher is calm, it, it spreads to the class. It's not a shock when they go, right, pen's down. <laughs> As the children are panicking and going, oh, so I'm still writing. Wherever I am, I. And it's no, it's it's almost like you're giving me a rhythm. I can hear it. I'm going to join in when it suits me, as long as it's within a reasonable time frame. And it's, it's much more kind. Because if you suddenly walked into anyone at any moment and said, stop what you're doing, come this way, it never works. I learned this from my children. Shouting dinner with no warning goes badly. So we always either shout up or use the Amazon Blue Ring speaking things to put an announcement out, five minutes. So whatever they're doing, I've now, they now know that dinner is in five minutes. So they can, they're ready for that shout. Yeah, so they've, they've not started another online game. They're coming to a, a natural point in whatever they're doing, the end of the page, end of the, that, whatever they're doing, they'll come to a natural end in a couple of minutes, so when, when it's dinner time, they're ready to come down. And it's just realising that for me as an adult, if you just, while well, I was in the middle of something, you just said this, and I'll be like, well, actually, I've got a really big thought in my head. I want to write two paragraphs on that. That's what I will do. So why won't it be any different for my children? Whereas if you give me dinners in five minutes, it's like, okay, the moment I hear that, my head's winding down or it's going, right, remember that for later. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. And it is, it is your impact on others, how you kind of emotionally run that classroom <laughs> is, is really important. When they come in from playground and some, yeah, some boys will always be, and I remember my daughter's class, one boy was always extremely hyped after football at lunchtime or break. So just telling him to sit down and be quiet would never work. You've got to slowly bring him down or distract him from what his current thought processes are to 
bring in that. So it's all about actually little transitions, a little activities, a little game you could do, a little fun bit, just to bring him back into where he is right now is a much better way rather than shouting at him because he's hyped up from football, which what's the reason he's hyped up from football? You've made a load of judgments that it's not important. But for him, that's the most important thing that's happened so far that day. So it's always meeting those challenges and understanding why that child's feeling wrong. That is it wrong that he's hyped, that he's had a lot of fun playing football? No. Are you saying to a seven-year-old child, you shouldn't have that much fun playing football in the playground because you're going to come in and do maths after? So just have a little bit. No, that doesn't work either. <laughs> so yeah, it is really that compassionate part of that co-regulation is the biggest part in reality. I think that when we really regulate ourselves truly and we really nourish our nervous systems, then what happens is your thoughts change anyway and your thoughts become kinder. Yes. Yes. They do. And that's the thing is, is, yeah, I find when I'm traveling, if I'm late, I won't hold doors open for people. Not because I'm being horrible. I need to, I'm late. I need to get where I'm going. Yeah, at the moment I'm on time and life is happy, I'll carry your bags, I'll help you with your pushchair, I'll hold the door open for you, even though you're miles behind because you'll carry... You just do, you're kinder. But when you're not on time, when you're a bit stressed, that subconsciously you're not doing it. It's not conscious, it's all subconscious. So, yeah, we believe in the value of compassionate co-regulation. <laughs> As a, as a necessary pathway for children's emotion, well, both teacher and child's emotional and mental health and resilience, actually. Yes. And it's not just teacher, it's parent and child as well is a big thing, is your challenges, your worries, your life, you, you try to shield your child from them. You don't tell them your money worries. You don't tell them relationship worries. You don't tell them your job worries. You don't tell them how we're going to... You keep that from them. But it can be quite hard to keep that emotional impact of those on you from them. So although you might not be telling them, you're acting differently. You're less compassionate. So if you regulate yourself, the only thing that we can change in life is how we experience whatever life throws at us. What life, what's yes. thrown at us in life is not what in our control. But what is in our control is how we respond. And if we learn to respond from a more compassionate place towards ourselves, towards circumstances, towards our reactivity, towards our wounds, towards our skeletons, whatever you want to call it, towards the people that we don't like, towards everything – then actually we make different choices and then we put out a different energy and we feel safer, we feel more comfortable, we feel more connected. There's a, there's a film about, called About Time, which I think is a Richard Curtis film, I can't quite remember, I think it is, which I won't go into what it is, but it is. it has got that story at the end. I won't tell you any more about the film. It's a really lovely film. It's like a Love Actually type film and it is a really nice thing. and. It just helps you, to me, you just look at how you value time and how you value, as you said, in the moment, there is, I can be worrying about everything around me or I can just be enjoying the journey. And they they lead to different things. And it's just that sort of thing is, yeah, it's, it is, it is trying to enjoy life more which you can only do if you're regulated and i'm not saying get rid of all your worries because your worries aren't going to disappear as soon as you get rid of that worry there'll be a new worry but it's finding a way that they impact you less so you are more regulated is really important i think so cool so anything you want to add before we wrap up Oh, my, my just invitation to all teachers, all parents, is just take care of you a little bit better. Definitely. It is, it is definitely very... Because you matter. You matter. Government might not think so, but everyone else does. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Your, your, your children, 
children in your class care about you. Your parents of your children in your class care about you. All the other members of staff care about you. Your senior leaders care about you. Your friends doesn't always come across because they've got their own worries, but they do all care about you. And if we all take care of ourselves much better and find time for ourselves, we then can support those who aren't taking care of themselves. But while we're all not taking care of ourselves, we don't have that compassion to share with others. So take care of yourselves. So thank you for coming to the show today. You can find Jyoti's contact details and she's giving me some information about compassionate co-regulation, which I'll share in the show notes as well. And you'll find those wherever you listen to the podcast or on our website. So thank you for listening. If you haven't subscribed already, click on the subscribe button. You can follow us on social media, on Twitter at The Sendcast, on Facebook, The Sendcast, on Instagram, The Sendcast. And if you're struggling to show progress, if your assessment process is overcomplicated, takes too long, or you just want to see what's available from us, come and have a look at the B-Squared website or book a free online meeting with me so I can take you through our products. We have a range of assessment products to help all schools show progress for pupils with SEN. If you're a school in England, still confused by the engagement model, the pre-key stage standard or anything else, get in contact. If you're a school in Wales and the new curriculum for Wales and you're trying to show progress, we have lots of stuff for you so you can get in contact. You can also find about our online training and conferences. You can read our blog or watch our webinars all on the B-Squared website. You'll also find links to, to the website and to book a meeting with me or to email me in the show notes. So have a look at the show notes and you'll be able to get a hold of me. So as I said, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Bye, everyone. Bye.